fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Haydner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile The Fantasy Fullback Dive is back with part two of our three-part series here with Ian Harditz of Roto World. We're looking at the off-season risers and fallers. Uh, nobody better to do it with than my man Harditz over here. How are you, brother? Doing good, man. Finally, the uh, weather is getting pretty nice here, and you know it's just leading the way to some of that fall coming back and that good old football. So I'm, I'm pumped. Uh, you know, we're full on grind mode after the draft, after free agency, and finding these sleepers each and every day. So let's get at it. Absolutely, man. And in the winter hat, it might be tough to tell that we're getting these like 70 degree <laughs> days. I know we were just talking over here. Cannot wait for that first quarantine haircut. Finally, man. Oh my god. I'm always just a buzz cut guy too. Like I don't ask for much, but all the buzzers and clippers are months beyond. So, you know, I got to rock the uh, thinking hat for now, but it's all good. Absolutely, man. Uh, well, so if you missed part one uh, for our listeners, we've recapped already, me and Ian, the uh, QB risers and fallers. You can find that episode and really any of the show notes over at ffbdpod.com. You can go to our homepage as well, rotostreetjournal.com. Uh, and also, Ian also gave a great you know preview to that by giving us you know his overall process, the stats, the tools he loves to use, kind of what separates him from the rest of the industry. So if you haven't heard that and you want to know more about Ian, you got to turn into uh, the last episode. Episode was fantastic. Today we're going to dive into the part two. Like I said, this is going to be focused on the past catchers who have risen and fallen this off season. Like, like last week, we kind of discussed volumes key for fantasy success. Doesn't matter how good you are if you're not touching the ball. So of course, targets are the premium to track for wide receivers, but also more so than other positions, in my opinion, at least they are dependent on that surrounding talent aspect. Because if you have trash throwing you the cute, you know, the ball, we obviously saw Brock Osweiler did that one year to Hopkins which I will never forgive him for. Uh, But, you know, it does matter where that volume's coming from as well. So we have a few more factors to consider with this position, uh, and that's why it's so important to look at them all as we go. So with all those factors in mind, with all that being said, let's dive right in. Who do you consider the single biggest wide receiver or tight end offseason riser um, of this offseason, Ian? Right now, the guy I can't get away from is just Adam Thielen. I mean, I think there's a pretty clear-cut top five wide receivers right now you have your michael thomas Devontae adams tyreek hill um i'm losing it i'm losing it tyreek hill julio jones and deandre hopkins i don't yeah. think anyone's gonna fight you with those as your top five but after that we have a whole lot of questions and i just think the questions we're asking for Thielen are more silly than not i mean we're, we're labeling the guy injury prone now after he missed six hmm. games last year did not miss a single game from 2014 to 2018 and okay like yeah hamstring injuries aren't great but when the guy already came back from the injury in the same season and went for about 180 yards in two games against the saints and the 49ers in the playoffs no i'm not worried about feeling operating at full health going into next year the concern about okay how's he gonna do without digs uh paving the way and how's he gonna do you know in a run first offense I just think they're a little bit misguided because, again, this is not a, well, not a one-year boom thing from Thielen. I mean, we've seen this guy operate as a true top 10 to 15 real-life wide receiver, I think, over these last three or four seasons. Gary Kubiak's run-first offense, and last year, only St- Stephon Diggs only had 94 targets. 
Before that, though, his wide receiver one, I mean, including that year, has averaged 138 targets per season. I mean, the Andre Johnsons, Rod Smiths, Raven Steve Smith, Demarius Thomas with the Broncos. Gary Kubiak is no stranger to enabling a real high-end wide receiver one. We have the biggest threat to Thielen's targets leaving town. We have a perfectly good quarterback in Kirk Cousins throwing the ball. And we have all the reason to believe with how the Vikings kind of defense and team is looking, that they might even take a step back and just be forced to throw the ball more anyway. So I'm dealing with my clear-cut wide receiver six right now. I love that. I mean, that's pretty bold, especially compared to where he's going. I think right now he's ranked as the wide receiver 16, which is, I love it though. I'm all about it. I mean, he's been sixth in PPR points per game uh, in his last 40 healthy games, sixth in yards, seventh in receptions over that span. So, I mean, he has been straight up crushing it. And even last year before he went down, uh, he was crushing it yet again. He's been a top 10 wide receiver every single. So he's wide receiver five, two seasons ago, wide receiver nine the year prior. And then before going down, he was still the top guy, wide receiver, nine in points per game, six TDs in six games. I mean, he is crushing it. He, he always has. And I love that you point out, I mean, not injury prone. Why are we starting to label it? It's been one season with a hamstring pull. Let's get over it. This guy has great ironclad chemistry. The volume's going to be there, as you highlighted with that Kubiak stat. I mean, I'm, I'm fully with you. I think I have him at like eight or, or nine, not quite as high as you, but I mean, it's right up there. Clear wide receiver one that falls to like, Round four. I, I don't get it. It makes no sense to me. Um, and, and I don't get why anyone's just overlooking this guy as one of the biggest offseason risers. So I love it. You mentioned one of the guys you have above him. And I don't know if we can consider him a riser just because he's already been viewed so highly. He's already performed so highly. That's DeAndre Hopkins, of course. But he's now in a new uniform with a new quarterback uh, for the first time in his career. What do you think of his value? Is did you look at him any higher, lower, you know, the same in, in Arizona? Do you think there's any room for upset? What, what do you think here with DeAndre Hopkins? I think it's a little bit lower. I mean, you know, mm. if he was still in Houston, I think you could potentially talk about him as the overall wide receiver one or two or three. But I think now he is in that five spot because, look, we all saw what happened with OBJ last season. I mean, just yeah. changing environment. We cannot assume that a wide receiver that's been around is just going to go continue that elite production, especially when it is someone like OBJ and Hopkins, who, you know, Nuke has the most targets in the entire league of anyone over the last three seasons. And we can't guarantee he's going to be getting those same targets in Arizona. I mean, the troubling thing is, like, the, the reason why we were so high on Beckham was the perceived quarterback upgrade from Eli to um, Baker Mayfield. Now, I mean... Deshaun Watson to Kyler, that's a downgrade. I love both quarterbacks. I think Kyler could eventually be better. Maybe he takes a huge step forward, but, I mean, he didn't have all the weapons he needed as a rookie, but he was, by most statistics, outside the top 20 and a whole lot of, uh, you know, throwing metrics as a rookie. So adding someone like Hopkins is going to help, but we just have a lot of questions here. Is Kyler going to be as good as Deshaun? Is Hopkins going to see the 150-plus targets he deserves? Is he going to, you know, be able to, uh, operate with Fitz and Kirk probably stealing some targets. So I think he's still good enough that we need to treat him as a locked-in wide receiver one. But, no, I, I think there are good enough reasons now to go with your Michael Thomas, Devontae Adams, uh, Tyree kills the world before him. Yeah, I think it makes total sense just because of all these new question marks that are raised. The one thing I do love is coming to Arizona, no team targeted wide receivers more than the Cardinals, 69.8%. So I, he you know, it seems like there's nowhere to go but down for his volume, but I'm hoping it's just not too much down because of this propensity. And I, and I would, 
I love this idea of the, the air raid just blowing up in year two, Kyler blowing up. Obviously, it's a big what if, but if it does, I mean, he could spike in those TD departments because they do love to throw in the red zone so much. So I, I'm with you. He's my five. He definitely took a little bit of a hit, but it's still Hopkins. Maybe the best talent at the position in the game. I'm so excited to see how Kingsbury and Kyler and all this meshes. So as you said, though, there's really nowhere to go other than a little bit down. Other than him... There's certainly some risers uh, we got to consider, and then we'll talk about some other fallers. And to me, a, a big question is what's going to happen in LA with the Rams now? Uh, with just Cup, you got Cooks gone, and now it's just Cup Woods. You got Higby there as well, maybe seeing a spike. Which of those guys, if any, are you targeting? Who do you think benefits the most? How do you see this all playing out? It's trying to figure out the Rams' offenses. For once, tough, because last yeah. couple seasons we've had just locked in. They ran three wide receiver formations, boarding pretty much anyone, Gurley, Belkow, and we had Everett and Higby pretty much splitting snaps enough that you couldn't really mm-hmm. use either of them. Now it's a mess, and we've seen these guys all <laughs> produce different times. I, my best guess for what we see is we see Woods and Cup, full-time wide receivers, and I think Higby is a full-time player in his offense as well. We're going to have some type of committee with their three backs. And then I think we see, because McVay has talked about wanting to not be in such, you know, heavy uh, 11 personnel all the single time, you know, just one running back, one tight end. So I think having Reynolds, having Van Jefferson, having Gerald Everett also still there, I just think we're going to see them more rotate that number three wide receiver position instead of making sure one of Reynolds or Van Jefferson uh, is on the field at all times. So with that said, Higby, he's just already kind of being priced I guess if we want to say his ceiling is 16 games of what he was doing over the last five weeks, <laughs> then he'd be the greatest tight end ever. But like, even if we're just reasonable about it and say, okay, he's, he can be a reasonable tight end one, he's being priced at that ceiling right now. So is Cup. I think that makes Woods the guy to go get from this group. I mean, the floor is wild already. Even without this expected, you know, b- nice little boom in target share, only Hopkins, Julio, Kelsey, Keenan, Michael Thomas, Kittle, Devontae, and Devontae Adams have more games with uh, five-plus receptions and 50-plus yards over these last two seasons. He has a great floor. I mean, the dude is averaging 18 rush attempts per season and over 130 targets. I mean, it's enough rushing volume that we actually got to pay attention to it. And, you know, looking at these kind of this wide receiver two range, I find myself taking running backs in the early rounds of drafts. But, man, if, if, you, if Woods falls a little bit and you can get him after going heavy with the running backs, like, you have an awesome floor. Yeah, I love that one. It's such a great, like, just overall strategy point to is to not buy players at the ceiling and, and to look for those guys that are getting discounted and that you, you can bake some upside into the price that you're getting them at with Robert Woods. So to me, yeah, he definitely presents as maybe the best value. The one thing I, I loved that I saw out of Higby, I mean, so you talk about the greatest tight ever. If he if he did have a full season pace of what he did, it would be 180 targets, which is just insane. 1664 yards and seven TDs with 138 receptions. So of course we know that's not going to happen. But I love just thinking of the 16 game pace of how ridiculous that was. But part of why that was happening, yes, Everett was out, but they also went to a lot more two tight end, 12 personnel. You mentioned the 11 personnel was just that locked in for a couple years. They went to that so much more down the stretch too of their really biggest wins of the year against Seattle uh, down the stretch. They were 71% two tight end sets, and, and that kind of facilitated that blowing up procedure for Tigby. So if this kind of move signals just an overall philosophy and overall formation shift then maybe just maybe Higby will he you know have that ridiculous like 23-18 23-19-22 pace no of course not but if they do go too tight end for all the season 
maybe there is that ceiling where, where it is there too. So that's the other guy I really like to highlight. Cup's the one I kind of see I see myself avoiding a little bit right now, but not even avoiding it. If he's there, he's there. There's just other guys, like Thielen's off, off in there where Cup's going. So I'm with you there. Like Give me Thielen all day instead of him. What about Cooks himself, the guy that departs here, now becoming more of a clear number one potentially with the Texans? Do you like the fit? What do you see of Brandon Cooks there? So the Texans and Giants are both kind of interesting offenses because we have a whole lot of uncertainty, but a whole lot of talent in these passing games, especially the Texans that should be, you know, pretty productive. I mean, okay, not having Hopkins isn't great. I know, I know Watson's splits with and without Fuller have just fallen off a cliff over these past years. So if you take away Hopkins, what's going to happen? But I don't know because he, he has always just been so he's had so few weapons over these years. I mean, there were situations like where Fuller got hurt and it was, who's he going to throw to other than Hopkins? So if these guys can stay even just a little bit healthy and we have Deshaun Watson throwing the Brandon Cooks, Will Fuller, Randall Cobb, Kenny Stills, Duke and David Johnson, that's yeah. a lot of talent. I think Watson's good enough to do a lot with that. And so looking at these kind of average draft positions, you got to kind of look at best ball. I mean, I know they're going to be different than redraft, but there's just more best ball going on right now than uh, redraft uh, stuff. So looking mm-hmm. at the best ball, I mean, all these guys are going, you know, wide receiver 35 and later pretty much. So they're being priced as wide receiver threes to wide receiver fours, which, you know, they very well could be, but they're being priced with a bunch of other guys, like your Christian Kirks of the world that mm-hmm. we know are wide receiver threes or wide receiver fours. And, you know, it wouldn't shock me if Brandon Cooks or if Will Fuller or if Darius Slayton or if, you know, Sterling Shepard, if one of these guys in a crowded, unclear pecking order just rises to the top. So, you know, if if we're really just zeroing out an upside, I think these Texans wide receivers in the – where they're being valued right now, like, heck yeah, take a shot. Because, you know, again, the more drafts everyone does, I think we're going to realize that you need to load up on RBs this year. So if you have these later wide receivers, that's why I like Jameson Crowder, Terry McLaurin. I'm sure we'll talk about them later. Yep. But any wide receiver <laughs> that's being priced this low that has an actual shot to be the team's wide receiver one, like take a long, long look at them. And especially the, the wide receivers that are the number one to, you just mentioned Deshaun Watson, such a great yeah. talent ridiculous player last year. I know we referenced this on last uh, episode when we were talking about QBs. Fifth in deep yardage last year, second in TDs with 11, and their number one PFF adjusted deep completion, 51.1% or 54.1%. So, I mean, this guy slings the ball. Obviously, if you just watch him play, you know he can sling it deep, but there's the, the advanced analytics that back that up. And you look at Cooks, I mean, Fuller as well, both incredible field stretchers. I mean, Cooks had 1,000 yards in four straight years before last year's kind of debacle where everything got thrown off. 14.8 yards per catch since 2015's fourth among receivers in that span. He had over 15 yards per catch in three of those four. I mean, the guy can clearly burn. We all can just watch him play without the metrics. Uh, to me, that might just be the beautiful marriage of a great deep ball thrower and a great deep threat. And there's other guys to draw attention away from him too. So it's not like you can just put someone over Cooks the entire time. I, I really like this. He's probably my favorite single value right now at wide receiver, like you said, getting priced as a wide receiver three as the potential number one. And as you, he's not Hopkins, but you mentioned nobody has more targets over the last three years than the number one wide receiver for the Texans. Clearly, they're different builds, 
But maybe he does, you know, Bill O'Brien love just a clear-cut number one. And if anybody on this group is going to be it, to me, that would be Cooks. So tons of upside at a bare minimum price. I love the Brandon Cooks move here uh, for his own value. One kind of gross passing core, at least when you first look at it, is the Dolphins. Uh, but man, they kind of lit it up sneakily towards the, the later stretch of the year. Ryan Fitzpatrick was actually the number four quarterback in fantasy football from week seven on once he took over the gig, which just blows. I, every time I say that, I don't know what the fuck am I saying, but it's actually true. Uh, and, and, you know, Devontae Parker was obviously somebody that lit it up during that stretch. You see tons of love out there for Mike Jacecki, and also Preston Williams was pretty impressive before going down. They also had nobody this offseason, so to me, look at volume and, and people that looked like they were going to have a depth chart shakeup, there's nothing going on there. It's all still the same. What do you make of this core? Do you think we see another solid season out of them, or is that just kind of a late season flash in the pan from Fitzmagic himself? Yeah, really weird offseason for the Dolphins. <laughs> I thought they'd add like a high-end running back. We come away with Matt mm-hmm. Breida and Jordan Howard. You know, they didn't you know, kind of bring him back Albert Wilson, Alan Hearns, just to kind of – none of these guys are bad yeah. per se. I don't hate hate the shakeup, but there's anything they could have done that was fixed, you know, what was probably easily the league's worst offensive line. They just didn't do a great job with that. So I'm hesitant in treating this Dolphins offense like it's one of these other, you know, teams – uh, you know, Kansas City or someone that we just want to take. Anyone's going to be on the field because it <laughs> might not be all that good of an offense. It took them that long to be good last season. Even when they were humming, it was more or less just Fitzpatrick throwing jump balls up to Parker and, you know, Mike Jusecki out of the slot. Jusecki had wild splits with and without Preston Williams. So did Devontae mm-hmm. Parker. I mean, Preston yeah. was maybe the best receiver on that team before he got hurt. I mean, he was showing out. I know he's undrafted and all that, but just from the preseason to the first – five, six weeks or uh, however long until he got hurt, the dude was playing really well. So, yeah. I mean, Parker and Jacecki aren't – like I think they're – like Parker's like a mid-range wide receiver 20 right now. Jacecki's kind of going that tight end one borderline. So, you know, I don't – they're both really talented guys. If Tua comes in, steps up, they could be the top two pass game options and definitely clear those values, no problem. But there's just some uncertainty there. I'm not going out of my way for them. Preston's the value because he's going yeah. wide receiver 50 range. And again, it just wouldn't be that shocking with the new quarterback and a new offense if Preston ends up being that guy. I mean, we have these situations every year where, you know, the ADPs get closer and closer leading up to drafts. Last year was DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel. By the time the draft started, they were more or less interchangeable. I think that could be what we're seeing here with Parker and Preston. Yeah, it totally could end up that way. And the one thing I do love that could allow that to be, you know, both of them interchangeable, but also both very good. And you mentioned you know, Preston Williams, obviously the value there because of the price, but why Parker might still be able to get it done after so many years of being so useless and such a, oh my fucking God, I can't, I, there's somebody I hate more than anybody. The one year I don't actually take the leap is the year he blows up. <laughs> but but Chan Gailey's spread attack, I mean, He's, you know, Eric Decker and, and Brandon, um, what the hell is the guy's freaking name? Who am I thinking of? Brandon Marshall. Marshall. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they both lit it up, like top 10 wide receivers in that offensive scheme for multiple seasons because of so much passing game volume. That was Ryan Fitzpatrick also at QB, just letting those big bodies go up and do their thing. If he's starting, I almost consider it a positive as long as he's lasting. Because once he took over as the starting quarterback, Josh Rosen was kind of getting mixed in and up until week six. After week six, only Michael Thomas had more points than Devontae Parker in fantasy football. I just found that stat out as I was coming on the air with you. I was like trying to do the metrics. 
pretty wild to think that because Fitzpatrick just there was some of these catches were just insane. It, every single time it seemed like a jump ball, and the guy was just it, Stephon Gilmore. He was doing it over us. You know, some of the best yep. corners in the league. So I loved that uh, stat to see. As long as Fitzpatrick is still thrown to him, I kind of like the fact that he's a top twenty only uh, price after going wide receiver eleven in PPR leagues, and again the second best wide receiver from week seven on. Uh, and, and Mike Jacecki too. And, uh, but again, then again, the other point you brought up is huge. Is Preston Williams was also out for that. So how does that shake everything up? But Mike Jacecki did move into the slot for 76% of his snaps. Um, he averaged 7.4 targets per game and scored five touchdowns over the last seven games. He really started to light it up was the tight end five in that span too. So it's just a matter of how much was that Preston Williams. But the Changeli attack should give us some aerial pie at least to keep feeding him. So I, I'm intrigued. I'm sneaky intrigued. I, not the Chiefs like you mentioned, but still an intriguing offense. Another gross offense that could yield at least one intriguing product. That's Terry McLaurin. I know you've always been a big fan of this guy. Um, and the team, you know, they they rumored to go after Amari uh, Cooper, but ultimately they yield no one. They don't draft anybody other than Antonio Gibson, which is a much different uh, position or, or player type of player. So he's one of the most popular McLaurin candidates for a year two leap. What do you think, Ian? Like, yeah, it's going to be a leap, I think, if he can get 16 games. But yeah. he already left pretty much. I mean, this guy was awesome last year. He just had a top 10 season among any rookie wide receiver we've had in the last decade, mm-hmm. just in terms of yards per target. And it's like the people look back at this season, they go, oh, well, he, he was a world beater with Case Keenum under center, but he couldn't quite be that good when Dwayne Haskins came in. Like, first of all, the fact anyone is that good with Case <laughs> Keenum under center should be viewed as a massive positive. Absolutely. And two, like, okay, it, it was rough in the you know, kind of middle portion of the season for a week or two, but Haskins and McLaurin figured it out at the end. I mean, last three games, McLaurin went four catches, 57 yards, touchdown, five catches, 130 yards, touchdown, mm. seven catches, 86 yards, no touchdown. I mean, he was performing as a legit wide receiver one, just like we saw him do at Case Keenum at the end of the season. And look, he finished the year as like the PPR 28 or 20 wide receiver, 28, 29 total. And you know, he was a little better with uh, Keenum, obviously over Haskins, but even with Haskins, he was in that wide receiver 30 range. And that's where he's being drafted right now. I mean, yeah. there's plenty of reason to believe both Haskins and McLaurin take second year leaps like plenty of players do. There's no competition for them. And they have each other. I mean, so many of these wide receivers, like, you know, your T.Y. Hilton's of the world and guys like that, you know, we're just making jumps based on kind of what we've seen from them over the last half decade. And like with a new QB, this could be great. Take the second year baller that still has his same QB under center who he's been catching passes from for years now. Antonio Gibson might be the number two projected target guy in that offense, which is ridiculous. And it's more just a (laughs) testament to how, you know, sparse it is. I like Steven Sims. But as you said, like Gibson, they don't have anyone else in this offense that's even a threat to McLaurin. Yeah. And the fact he's going out on off the board so late is incredible. I have him as my wide receiver 18. And wow. again, if if you're doing what you're doing in these drafts, which I think a lot of people are going to lean towards, and you're going running back heavy early, you know, unless you can get like Devontae Adams stud or something, focus on someone like McLaurin in that round five, round six range. And I think he's giving you your best chance there of getting a true wide receiver one. Absolutely. I think the the key as you mentioned, is what if Haskins also takes a leap? Because even if he doesn't, we've seen him get it done. But what if he does take another step forward? As a lot of these offseason reports are suggesting, he's really working it and and putting in that serious work that 
seemed to be lacking for a good amount of last year. So I, he's already a baller, and he could only be that much better. Do you? Where do you kind of stack him up in that, that? That sophomore class is so exciting for redraft for for dynasty. Where does he kind of stack up for you among the DKs and the you know them all the AJ Browns the Debo's like it's such a ridiculous class. Is he towards the top or is he behind some of those other talents for you? I think in terms of pure wide receiver talent, I might only put him behind A.J. Brown. The problem is D.K. Metcalf comes with Russell Wilson. Yeah. And then obviously, uh, you know, we're getting the Shanahan scheme over there with Debo. So they're all just incredible, man. Like, seriously, like, yeah. you know, I mentioned before, McLaurin was in that top 10 uh, kind of target, uh, like rookie wide receivers in the yards per target group. Well, A.J. Brown's there. D.K. Metcalf <laughs> barely on the outside looking in. Debo Samuel's there. I mean, all four of these second-year guys, like, we're kind of, I think, nitpicking them. It's almost like maybe McLaurin because he might be fourth out of that group is on the outside looking in. But we just got to accept all four of these guys are awesome. Yeah, they really are ridiculous. Uh, it's tough to kind of sift through them. You mentioned earlier, too, Jamison Crowder, a potential target hog that no one's looking for. That's one of my favorite things in drafts is to find like what I call unsexy upside. It's you know Nobody wants him. You're not getting the oohs and ahs on draft day when you take Jamison Crowder, and especially for auction drafts. I mean, he's probably going to go for a buck or two, and he could be a legit alpha. I mean, they bring in Mims. Yeah, he's solid. They bring in Perriman. Sure, he's decent but to me it seems like Crowder and not a whole lot other than guys that are stretching the field for him but what do you think of this guy what do you think of the Jets passing attack next year so yeah I think at running backs the latest you can wait to get like a bell cow starter is David Montgomery I think Crowder is that guy for wide receivers Mm. he just led this team in every receiving category last year and Robbie Anderson who was like the only guy who had really just shown kind of number one qualities and chemistry with Sam Darnold he, he replaced him with Prashad Perryman, who, hey, you know what? Prashad has played very good football the last two seasons. But, I mean, come on. I don't think we need to expect him to do much more than Robbie did last year. If Robbie right. couldn't take that next step, I don't, I don't think Prashad is going to come and step in and do it. And, yeah, nothing against Mims, but, you know, with every rookie wide receiver this year, just with the lack of training camp reps we're probably going to have and just, you know, learning new offense – not even to mention, like, Adam Gase, you really think he's going to be the type of guy to just throw the playbook at a rookie wide receiver and just feature him from day one? I don't think so. I mean, this is why Chris Herndon's a good value, too. This Jets yeah. offense didn't add anyone. And I know Sam Darwin hasn't been great, but, uh, you know, I, I hear people saying, like, oh, just don't even draft these, like, football players on bad teams. And it's not – it's just not that easy because it, it's being so heavily valued into their draft positions that – yeah, Jamison Crowder or Chris Herndon, their value is because they're so cheap. And if we can get 120 targets from a guy in the eighth or ninth round, that's better than taking a better real-life player on a better team just because, again, we're focused on these on the volume, on the opportunity. And it's not sexy. Like you said, you're not going to feel good after you do it. But Jamison Crowder is going to be good for fantasy football business in 2020. Absolutely. I, I just still have the visions. I feel like it was so long ago that people forget, but there was that week one. He had 17 targets and 14 receptions. I mean, if that's not a potential target hog, I don't know what is. That was 41.4% of his throws, Sam Darnold, on that Sunday. And there were a few other blowups mixed in there a lot on the back of targets and receptions, target and receptions. Uh, so, I mean, there is. He was a wide receiver one, 31% of the time. That was as much as Devontae 
Parker, who I was just referencing. So this guy had some humongous games and now faces, as you just referenced, so much less competition that now has less time to get ready and a rapport with this Sam Darnold in this offense. I'm with you. I mean, I think it's just some of the, the yeah, he had some humongous duds as this whole offense did, but there, there's a real chance that he could just light it up and, and record a hundred potential catches. I mean, it actually, it seems insane, but you get a hundred catch guy in like round eight to 10 and, and that's insane to me. Uh, so I'm fully with you. I love the Jamison Crowder value that we're getting there. One guy, I'm not sure how you view because he's, he's not going to be a target hog because he's behind literally the pinnacle of target hog and Michael Thomas, but Emmanuel Sanders goes to, uh, to Sean Payton, that Drew Brees offense in New Orleans that has just for years and years lit up scoreboards. I mean, he himself referenced it as kind of similar to when he went to the Broncos when Peyton Manning was there and they were also just going bananas and he had some insane seasons there. He's thinking he's going to do similar things to that. What do you think? Does Sanders have some sneaky upside there? Like if it was only Michael Thomas, that would be one thing, but we also have Alvin Kamara who's going to be this offense's number two pass game option. So and then Jared Cook was fantastic last year. So, like, Sanders' best-case scenario is the number three option in a passing game that has trended more towards running the ball in recent years. Now, I know it's run the ball. It's a, It happens when you win. It doesn't. You don't win because you run the ball. I get it, everyone. But <laughs> they have made a concerted effort over the years to both have Breeze throw the ball less, and he's throwing downfield even less than he ever has. So, I just, Sanders is awesome. I mean, the fact he did what he did, 17 games last year because he didn't even get the bye week with the midseason trade. Hmm. Coming off the Achilles, he was a better ball from Jimmy Garoppolo away from scoring the game-winning touchdown in the Super Bowl. Right. He's awesome. I just think he's going to be a better real-life addition than fantasy. I mean, just kind of looking at where he's falling in these drafts, I mean, I would just rather have the Giants wide receivers, um, Henry Ruggs, Anthony Miller, just guys that – actually have a chance to be even the number two pass game option in their offense because right now Cooks is, is on the outside looking in there. So I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Sanders on the outside looking in there. So mm-hmm. better real-life addition than fantasy. It could totally end up that way. I get it exactly what you're saying, especially when there's tar- Jamison Crowder's available. That could be their number one. So that does make total sense. I, and I don't know whether I should put much stock into this as I sometimes do. But one thing that I love is that the last time he played the Saints was that insane, you know, 49ers Saints shootout at week 14 of the Superdome. He had seven catches, 157 and a TD, uh, scoring 34.1 points. And there's something about when like a, a team just, gets dominated by a guy and then you got the Saints who never really spend up at wide receiver we haven't seen it in years and they just go out I, you know, Nick Underhill their their beat reporter there says you know it's just such a perfect marriage that the team that never spends their on their wide receivers had to go out and get this guy because he plays the intermediate range so well that I, I just wouldn't be shocked if we do get a thousand yards and maybe he does Kamara such a different role as well but maybe all of them blow up and we just get one of those wild Drew Brees seasons where he had, you know, 5,000 yards and 40 TDs like it was clockwork for so many years. I doubt we get it. I know we talked about it last week that that's probably unlikely. Uh, But ultimately, I would not be shocked at all to see 1,000 yards and maybe 6 to 8 TDs out of Sanders. Just another guy I think that has that unsexy type of upside for your auction drafts. Again, pay 60 bucks for three different running backs, pay 180 total, and then just pick off whatever these wide receivers are falling for cheap. That's going to be totally my game for any people out there that do. Do you do any auction drafts, Ian, or not? Not really. Not really, but I, I'm curious about him. I, I like that strategy you got going on there. Because, yeah, I mean, it's not like 
if you're starting Manny Sanders in a good, I mean, a decent enough matchup, you're not going to feel bad about it by by any means. I think mean, he'll be a popular DFS target throughout the season when he's on the right. price a little bit. But you know, it's just comparing him to who's there. But oh, auction, you can go under the radar for sure. Absolutely. Um, and then one of the last couple cores that I have at least written down as risers, at least some of this core. So I'm intrigued to see what you think of it. But I like the Panthers moves a lot. Uh, you got Teddy Bridgewater, obviously better than Kyle Allen. There's not a quarterback that wouldn't have been better than Kyle Allen as addition. But I really like what Bridgewater could do in this offense, as we talked about last time. Um, and, and I love the Joe Brady move, as we raved about last time, too. And then you get Robbie Anderson tossed in. So it's like, is, is he going to become a nuisance to these guys? Or is he going to be more of a field stretcher? So how do you see the, the Panthers wide receiver core shaking out between DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, and Robbie Anderson? So initially when the Robbie trade happened, I was just like, all right, great. How him and Curtis are going to split yeah. the number three role and kind of, you know, because it's McCaffrey one, right. assuming <laughs> DJ Moore two, and then one of these guys three. That's probably the range. But the thing is, like, the everyone's just so bummed about missing in this – I mean, Curtis Samuel wasn't even that bad last year. He just w- wasn't nearly as good as DJ. But I think the the potential for Curtis to become this kind of target hog, low A dot slot guy in this offense can't can't be you know uh, uh, we gotta consider it because yeah. it is there. Robbie is probably gonna be there to be the clear out guy. That's what he's really been throughout his career. The money he got, I don't think is reflective of a true number one guy. Right. They already have enough dudes there, so. You know, I'm up on Curtis as long as he's going in the wide receiver 50 range. Again, it's like just take a good player at that point. I mean, there's – again, there's just so many more wide receivers you can talk yourself into than the running back position. So, yeah, taking guys like Manny Sanders, Curtis Samuel, late that are talented, uh, are in potentially productive passing offenses, I think is the move. DJ Moore is the one guy in this offense that I just think he's being priced a little too high towards his ceiling. I mean, Teddy is definitely – uh, an upgrade over Kyle Allen, as you said, in anything. But at the same time, it's now a new target share. It's now a new offense. And, you know, DJ is the man. But I also think Curtis is the man. So does CMC. So, you know, all three of those guys had over 100 targets last year. We just need to consider that maybe DJ ends up kind of being on the lower end of that spectrum this year. I see totally what you're saying there. And, and it makes sense because there is a world where Curtis Samuel ends up outperforming him which is it seems insane I don't think it happens because I am a huge DJ Moore fan as well but the difference really might not be nearly the third round price tag of DJ Moore versus the I got Curtis Samuel I've just been doing some mock drafts messing around with all the time we have off here I got Curtis Samuel in the last round of the 12 team mock draft the other day and that, that was when people drafted kickers and stuff he's just sitting out there still and and the gap is not nearly as wide as I think people are viewing it right now especially with Joe Brady his whole philosophy applying pressure quote getting your speed and space making defend, defenders uh, defend every single blade of grass and letting your players do what they do best. I think it's going to be the first time we see, you know, you got Anderson 4-3-4, Moore 4-4-2, Samuel 4-3-1, and the slowest of them, Hall McCaffrey 4-4-8. What a, what a bum. But no, that, that offense is going to, I, I think, really take off. They're going to be in tons of shootouts, and I think Samuel might be the best properly utilized he's ever been. Uh, and, and Brady also raved about how he loves to move his guys all over the place. They don't teach him just a X or a Y. They, they love interchanging everybody. That's what made them so dangerous 
Texas at LSU, and all these guys have that versatility, especially Moore and Samuel. Uh, I love the fit, and I really think Teddy can deliver the mail, so I'm totally excited for this offense. Then um, the last couple I got here, Calvin Ridley and Hayden Hurst. It's the most vacated target share in the league right now with uh, Austin Hooper leaving, Sanu gone, and a lot of people are now labeling Ridley kind of that next Chris Godwin, right? An explosive aerial attack that has tons of volume released to, to the now number two, who's just as talented, if as, maybe not as talented as Julio, but he's, he's Ridley in my eyes is unbelievable. Are you buying the hype? I, some people were not buying the Godwin hype last year and they clearly didn't, didn't pay out. What do you think of Ridley though? Is the hype warranted? Let me see. I'm doing the search now because I want the record to show on January 22nd, 2020, I said 2020 Calvin Ridley will be 2019 Chris Goblin. Yes, I guess you're on board. <laughs> I, I was the pioneer of this. Of course I'm on board. I, mean, I love this it. Guy, Calvin Ridley, he's only had eight career games with at least eight targets. The dude has scored in every single one of those games except one. He's wow. had five catches in every game and 80-plus yards every game. I mean, it's just been a matter of not having enough opportunity. And it's not only – Cooper gone. It's Muhammad Sanu who got traded midseason. It's Devontae mm-hmm. Freeman who is now gone as well. I mean, this is, by all counts, still a bad defense, but still a very prolific passing game. I mean, Matt Ryan's not going anywhere. He's going to put up yards. Julio's going to do his thing. And, you know, like we're talking kind of like the whole Adam Thielen factor, like you worry about if these guys can operate on their own if they don't have their star next to them. We don't have to worry about that with Ridley, and we've already seen him produce these numbers before. I mean, just with the volume. So, it it you know it matches up so perfectly with the Goblin hype. The only thing that could happen is an injury, and I mean I understand yeah. Ridley hasn't been you know the most hundred uh, percent injury free guy in the world. But again, if, if you're going through these prospects, and the only thing that you can stop yourself and say, well, okay, I'm not gonna draft this guy because I'll probably get hurt. Just be careful because you're gonna m- miss out on some values with that type of thing. Absolutely. Uh, and those games you referenced to last year, the, the splits without Hooper were just insane. There's only three of them, uh, but eight catches, 143 a TD, 28.3 fantasy points. The wide receiver three that week, 685 TD, 22 points. The wide receiver eight, eight for 91, 17.1 for the wide receiver 17. I mean, ridiculous outputs. He would have, if that pace somehow continued, which is a stretch, but ultimately like somewhat near there isn't ridiculous to think. It would have been 353 fantasy points on the season, uh, which would have trailed only Michael Thomas. I know it's a small sample, but as you, I didn't even know that stat, the stat that he scored in every single time he's seen at least eight targets. Like, And I do think... Except once. Except, except once. once. But he had a three-touchdown game in there, so take, take one. Yeah, why, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> if that value does... I mean, the volume steadies out as I think all of us expect to. He could be that guy that we're looking at at the end of round one, early round two, come 2021 drafts. I'm, I'm stoked for him. What do you think about Hayden Hurst? Is he a tight end sleeper in your eyes at all? Just because a lot of people love that role. We saw what Hooper was doing in it. We've never really seen Hurst get that like real true number one role. And it seems like there's no one there other than him at tight end. Do you think he can do anything in that position? Yeah, I'm seeing Hurst kind of consensusly almost near 20 rank and I have him as a tight end 13. I mean, we we look at the tight end position. I think, uh, you know, you have Kelsey Kittle, Ertz, Andrews, and I'd even put Evan Ingram kind of in that top five tier with the potential he has. But after that, you can almost miss me with all these guys until we get to like that 12 to 15 range and then just pick off two of them. And hopefully one of them blows up because there's, there's the same amount of kind of questions facing these talented tight end twos as there are the kind of lower end 
tight end ones. I mean, why pay up for Jared Cook and just hope he kind of gets the volume when you can go down to someone like Hurst that could feasibly put on an Austin Hooper-like season? I mean, look, the Falcons did not go into games last year looking to feature Hooper over Ridley and Julio. That happened when their awful team would get down multiple scores and then Hooper would catch all these checkdowns. I mean, it was kind of infuriating to watch uh, if, if you didn't have Hooper on your uh, fantasy squads. But we saw it happen. It could happen again. Like you said, Hurst has no competition for the role. I think he's a great target as, it's, as, his, as his current tight end two valuation. Absolutely. And, and ultimately, they probably didn't go in saying we want to pepper, you know, Hooper the way we did. But Cutter did, you know, during his time with Tampa Bay, he said, I'm the first to admit I like tight ends. And we saw it. You know, obviously, last year, Hooper was the tight end one before going down better than Travis Kelsey, better than George Kittle before his week 10 injury. 75 balls, 787 and six TDs. Third in points per game, but again, number one before the injury. And then you saw Cameron, Brayton, and Howard combined for 11 and 12 TDs and 17 and 18. So the red zone role is there. And we kind of saw instead of it getting divided up into two people, it just funneled right to Hooper. And I don't really see anyone else in the way for Hurst to see a ton of that. And we saw Tony Gonzalez. I mean, if you keep going back and back in Cutter's history, it's not. It, to me, he really does love tight ends when he says he does. 120 targets and back-to-back seasons for Tony Gonzalez. Mercedes Ooh. Lewis had 10 TDs back in Jacksonville in 700 yards. So there's a rich, like deep history of tight end usage. So I'm with you. He's actually exactly at tight end 13 for me as well. And one of my favorite, you know, second or, or you know, even top tight ends to target if I punt the position uh, like that. So I, I, I'm all about it. And the last couple guys, I don't know if you want to go on about either of these, but they did have shakeups at the QB position. So I want to at least kind of hear what you think if it's an upgrade or downgrade. And that's both Allen Robinson and then T.Y. Hilton, who will be catching passes from Nick Foles and, and Philip Rivers, obviously, respectively. I, I, do, I just also want to put this on here to admit over the summer, I kind of came at you for, for being too high on Allen Robinson. And I was definitely wrong on that one because he lit it up. He was much better than I expected. So I wanted to give you a shout out. Up for that one, I was way too down on Allen Robinson. The guy can still ball. Uh, what do you think, though, of Allen Robinson and T.Y. Hilton this year? I mean, obviously they're two completely different players, but you targeting either of them? I'm sure you were just down on the Trubisky hype train, exactly, which, which obviously did not sell. Uh, yeah, but I'm backing on A. Rob. The guy just had the third most targets in the entire NFL last season, and he now it's, it's like we said, you know, with Teddy over Kyle Allen, it's a quarterback upgrade. So mm-hmm. is this. The only guys. A-Rob has caught balls from in his college and NFL career have been Matt McGloin, Christian Hackenberg, Blake Bortles, Chad Henney, Chase Daniel, and Mitch Trubisky. So, yes, Nick Foles is the best quarterback of Alan Robinson he's going to play with. And I would also add, I mean, this is good news for Anthony Miller because, look, Taylor yeah, Gabriel's gone. I mean, Anthony Miller's like the rising – like he's like, you know, a poor man's Calvin Ridley this year. He's been in a crowded offense. He's produced. He just hasn't had the consistent – uh, you know, week to week opportunity, but he had seven touchdowns playing through a bum shoulder as a rookie. Uh, you know, he was a PPR wide receiver eight in weeks 11 through 15 yeah. last year. You know, I know we're kind of, you can pick these certain game splits and kind of make your narrative. I get all that, but all I'm trying to say is the dude has played at a high level in the NFL for stretches. Yeah. Now he's going to get every chance to be that wide receiver too. So I'm in on Chicago. I'm less than on T.Y. Hilton just because we have. Now, 36 games of him without Andrew Luck. He scored 11.6 points per reception in those games. Uh, With Mm -hmm. Andrew Luck, he's all up at 15.5. So, look, T.Y. is the man, but he's aging. I think we'd agree. Like, he's never exactly been a guy that's just – I mean, it's 
I don't I don't know how well how gracefully he's going to age necessarily. Like yeah. he's run away, he's used to running away from dudes. He's never been overly physical, and now he's starting to get banged up after that really wasn't an issue for the first part of his career. I mean, it's just a lot of questions. He's not egregiously overpriced. He's kind of going as like a mid mid range wide receiver twenty. So maybe he can still get it done. They they only add, I mean only adding Pittman to that uh, kind of wide receiver uh, carousel they got going on there. Hilton should be the number one again in Indy. So, like, for that, I think uh, he has the potential. But I don't know, man. Like, it's just yeah. expecting Rivers to go there and kind of be that same offense. I'm, I'm buying A-Rob way over Hilton, that's for sure. Absolutely, yeah. I, I'm hoping to redeem myself and get some more A-Rob, especially about some of what you were just saying there. I'm glad you threw out Anthony Miller because I completely forgot to include him on this list, and he's absolutely a riser with the best quarterback he's ever going to play with as well here. I, Hilton, I, I'm with you too. I 43% bust rate, even with Andrew Luck a couple seasons ago there. So it was still that boomer bust nature. Yeah, he was the wide receiver 14, 17.1 points per game with Luck. But that's also Andrew Luck, and that's a much better deep ball thrower than what Phillip Rivers is at this stage of his career. I mean, that ball was fluttering last year. I get that they just said Nick Sirianni, we're going to run through him. He's still the focal point of our passing attack. And I was pretty impressed with how Reich kind of forced him to, to use a little bit more of his yards after the catchability with a lot more quick hitters. I, I, I'm with you, though. This is the type of game that could just it does not age well. And suddenly, if he's not taking those slants 80 yards to the house, you're not getting those big booms anymore because he's not outrunning the defense and Hilton just loses everything that makes him so special so when that cliff hits it's going to be an ugly one it could be this year uh, it might be a year in, in advance but I'd rather at least take the shot on these young fresh bucks that we've already talked about the DKs the McLaurins like give me all that all day uh, even with a QB upgrade for Hilton I'm not I'm not in on him either so I like that let's get to the fallers now who do you consider the biggest either wide receiver or tight end faller of this offseason I mean, the whole Stefan Diggs situation didn't exactly yeah. help. Josh Allen, I love the guy. I think he's, you know, okay, taking Mahomes and Lamar Jackson, that's fine. But he is a top five most entertaining quarterback in this league. But just throwing the ball, he's not there yet. And he took really big strides in almost everything from his rookie year to his, his second year, going to a third year with Diggs, with a better offensive line. You know, it's there's this scenario where he plays better, but he just has a long way to go to even yeah. get to above average. I mean, he was a bottom five QB pretty much every deep ball stat last year except for you know throwing the ball downfield a lot which he does so he's fun to watch he makes defenses account for every square inch of that field because you never know what the guy's gonna do it's just you know what is this gonna mean for Stefan Diggs John Brown was able to be the PPR wide receiver 20 last year I think we'd all agree Diggs is better than Brown but the problem is like is there gonna be more volume necessarily yeah. like he, he was already not used that much and he was using a way more efficient manner in Minnesota, I don't think anything like 150 targets is coming. If he can get in the 120, 130 range, okay, he can do something with it. But John Brown's good. Cole Beasley's good. Rising second-year tight end Dawson Knox is good. I mean, I'm just not convinced they're going to build this entire passing game around Diggs. And there's just a whole lot of questions. Now, I guess you can point to the Hopkins and say, why is Hopkins so much higher than Diggs if, you know, we kind of have similar volume concerns. And, you know, and that's why Diggs being priced as low as he is. I mean, I'm not saying he's a stay away, but I, I just think him going in that kind of wide receiver 25 range is warranted for the time being. 
Yeah, he's the guy I had written down as my biggest faller, too. Uh, to just illustrate the stats that you were mentioning there with the, the deep balls, Josh Allen, 6 for 50, 12% completion rate on throws over 30 yards in, uh, in the air, three TDs and three interceptions on those throws, whereas Kirk Cousins was 10th last year in deep comp- uh, completion percentage with 44.3%, 119.7 deep passer rating was third in the league, whereas Allen ranked 23rd and 20th out of 24 cat. Uh, QBs in each of those respective categories. So definitely a huge downgrade. Now, how much of that was Diggs being so good at tracking the ball and shaking free of defenders? Or maybe that will help close that gap. It certainly will help. But how much of it is just Cousins as a better compute, uh, quarterback, a better deep thrower than him? Because Diggs did rely on, it was 16 receptions, 16 deep ball receptions, led the league in deep yardage. All six of his TDs were deep throws. That was 54.5% of his production came on 16 deep receptions. If those balls are getting sailed over his head because Cousins is just that much better than Allen, it could be a much uglier. And never mind the diva concerns, right? Like if if he's starting to struggle and it's it's not going as well, we've already seen him go on tirade on tirade on the the Twitter. So who knows exactly what's going to happen there? But it's way too many question marks for me to consider. So I'm with you. He's a guy I have fallen completely off of. Um, what about Michael Gallup? We we talked about last week. Dak is the no brainer QB three because of the. CD Lamb edition, but it definitely does shake up that wide receiver core. Uh, do you think Gallup or is it Cooper? Do you think either of them take a big hit? How's that going to shake out this year, in your opinion? They're, I think they're both. I mean, they're all fine. I mean, I, I get going lower. I, Amari Cooper is being still priced. That's kind of like the outright wide receiver one in the offense. In the last eight weeks of the year, I think a lot of this had to do with Cooper having just one of the most tough cornerback the kind of shadow schedules you'll ever single ever mm-hmm. see with Gilmore, Slay, Ramsey, yeah. all these guys coming back to back to back. But Prescott was able to enable each of Cooper, Gallup, and Randall Cobb to like wide receiver two production pretty much. And you know, I think we could all agree C D Lamb is probably better than Randall Cobb at this point. Yeah. <laughs> no disrespect to Cobb, but come on, you draft a guy at number 17, that's what you're hoping. And just adding those guys, we talked about the Falcons having all the open targets. The Cowboys are number two in available targets because Witten and Cobb, who both had, I believe, exactly 83 targets last season, they're gone. So, you know, we're going to see Jarwin, we're going to see Zeke eating that target share. But this is the we, – we talked about, you know, like the uh, Dolphins not being a Chiefs offense. The Cowboys are pretty close to being a Chiefs yeah. offense. I mean, this was one of 11 teams in the Super Bowl era to average 6.5 yards per play last season. Losing Travis Frederick sucks, but I think we talked about this in the last pod. Like They have a 16-game starter in Joe Looney from 2018. Yeah. They've drafted they've drafted high-round guys in you know third and fourth round last two years to try to address that hole. So assuming the O-line is still at the very least an above-average unit, there's more enough firepower for this passing game to have more than a couple guys. And yeah, Gallup, he's got to contend with CeeDee Lamb, but... I mean, Gallup was contending with Amari Cooper for the wide receiver one spot last season. So, right. no, I'm not. I'm not too concerned with Gallup. Interesting take there. Yeah. So, are you concerned with Cooper then, or not even really any of them? You'd buy anyone at the the price they're going at. I would say Cooper is more concerned. I just find yeah. myself with these again. Like, there's the big five wide receivers. If you know the top seven running backs are gone, you're kind of at the turn. Maybe you got to take your. Uh, chance on one of these kind of middle wide receivers, you know, your Adam Thielens or Allen Robinson's the world, but man, it's just more. I've, I've been doing it like, you know, best ball drafts every single week and stuff. And yeah. just taking a chance on these wide receivers that you have ranked like 10 through 20. 
I just don't see a massive teardrop between you know the ten through twenty and the twenty one through thirty wide receivers. Right. The same the same way there is for running backs. So you know Cooper is a great guy to have on your team, but if it's between Cooper and a team's you know Austin Eckler, Miles Sanders type guy, give me the running back. I'm fully with you. I'm going running back, running back, running back in almost every mock I've done so far, and I've loved my teams every single time. We've talked about a lot of these guys, wide receivers up to 30. There's still a ton of talent, and even beyond them, we're finding those crowders and some of these potential target hogs that often slip outside of there too. So it is such a deep position this year. I'm I'm all with you there. Two two of the guys that are definitely going to be going towards the top of the position that we're talking about in that same range is the Ecklers, the Kenyon Drake, that's the Bucks wide receivers, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Obviously, they've got a new quarterback in town and Tom Brady. What do you think? I mean, it's got to be a better real-life addition than Jameis Winston, but that guy also just hucked the ball whenever and whenever he could. So ultimately, and also you get Gronk in the fold. Do you consider those guys fantasy losers? Is there one you'd be targeting over the others? What do you think of the Bucks guys? Right now, I have Goblin a little bit ahead. I'm, I'm kind of buying into the slot narrative going on there. And I mean, look, Evans is should be future Hall of Famer if he keeps this up. And I mean, Goblin is right there seemingly as talented as well. So, you know, maybe Evans finds a way to keep doing it. But yeah, I'm with you, man. Like, I don't, you know, I think if we had to ask people, like, do you think both Goblin and Evans will finish as wide receiver ones again? Most people will say no. Yet we're looking at these rankings, and almost yeah. all, almost every rankings, including mine, probably I I, I might have Evans <laughs> like thirteen or fourteen, but we still have both these guys ranked super high. And yeah, I mean Brady obviously better real life QB than Jameis, but as you said, you know Brady's checking that ball down the open running back or sailing it out of bounds. Jameis is throwing that same ball <laughs> to a double covered Mike Evans downfield. You know, hoping <laughs> for the best. So it's just kind of an issue, man, with projecting these new quarterbacks to go anywhere. So again, and. It just comes down to value. Goblin's awesome. Evan's awesome. Gronk's awesome. They're all being priced already as wide receiver ones and tight end ones. Like, no, I'm I'm probably going to be out on these guys. There's nothing wrong with the players, and maybe they will go on the ball out. But whenever we have volume concerns with a new QB under center or anything, you know, take an extra long look before you take that over someone more proven. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that slot narrative too. I, I I value Godwin definitely higher than Evans, which means Evans is going to become the Randy Moss and have like 20 touchdowns this year for Brady. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but I, I love just the higher percentage throws. I mean, a bigger, stronger, better Edelman. Like it, it could end up being a – if either of these guys are going to explode, to me it's probably going to be Godwin. Uh, and I'm with you that I don't know if he can because of all the targets he has to compete with now. So speaking of slot guys though, the, the guy that Brady's leaving behind now to most likely Jarrett Stidham is going to be Julian Edelman now. Like, is, is that going to be a huge downgrade? I mean the guy – was the wide receiver seven last year in PPR leagues. He, I've got some stats on the targets between the the Pats slot receivers since Welker and Edelman errors began there, and it's pretty crazy. So how much of it in your eyes was Brady versus the system, and, and how big of a fall, in your opinion, does Edelman take in the rankings with his guy Tom gone now? Yeah, it's definitely problematic, man. I mean, he's t- he's already kind of taken such a hit. Like, he's just kind of going that Stephon Diggs, like 25 to – wide receiver 30 range where like, yeah. okay, at, at, at that price, I don't mind chasing the upside because I don't think he's going to – like Diggs and Edelman, they aren't going to dud next year. It's just a question of if they're going to be able to be that true wide receiver one that we know they're capable of being. So it's, it's not the end of the world to go back to the guy. But with so much unknown, it's just like why not why, why not wonder if Mohamed Sanu could lead this offense? They just gave up a second-round yeah. pick for him. 
the Keel Harry they just took in the first round. Both those guys are going you know, outside the top 50 wide receivers. So probably when it comes down to it, I'll take the other guy, not Edelman, because I do think there's a big chance for a target share in the offense in general to go down. But, hey, they aren't tanking. I mean, ask Vegas. The right. Patriots' one total is set at nine wins. Bill Belichick is not tanking. So they're going to put up production somewhere. You know, when there is a mystery, I tend to say, okay, take the cheaper guy. You know, if we, we're not we aren't sure what's going on. But with Edelman where he is, he's a faller for sure, but he, he's fallen. So I don't mind taking him at this lower price point. The one thing that might not be a mystery either, too, is the, those numbers I was referencing, too, for the slot wide receivers. Now, again, who knows if it's going to be a different offense. The Patriots do craft the offense around their quarterback and their talent more than anybody else we, we've ever seen. Brissett comes in for a game, and it becomes a Pop Warner, like, wing T type of offense. So, I mean, they're, they're going to adjust the offense to Sidham, who, by all accounts uh, from the New England area, they're saying is more of the jump ball, like precision thrower, lets his guys do his the, the play. So that would seem to favor Nikhil seem to favor a big body like Sanu as well. If not, though, I mean, if they do keep what's in place, the slot wide receivers have been on pace for 140-plus targets and 24% market share in all 12 of the last seasons. I mean, that doesn't mean they've hit 140 targets because Edelman's gotten injured here and there. Uh, But between Welker and Edelman, two good talents, yes, but that offense has definitely funneled through there. Uh, In in fact, they've been a top 12 PPR in points per game in nine of those 12 seasons out of the slot for New England. So that's 75% hit rate, and he's being drafted as the wide receiver 34 right now. To me, I just see a, a big gap between the history there, and I get why the cliff could hit, but if I can get that type of production and volume in round eight and nine right now, I'm going to take a flyer on it and make sure that, that he's on the squad. Maybe he becomes that guy still would be at an insane value uh, for me. What about uh, Austin Hooper? We raved about uh, you know, Hayden Hurst because that role is so nice over in Atlanta with Dirk Cutter peppering the tight end and just, you know, Matt Ryan. Now Hooper goes to a much more crowded, probably a more run-heavy offense over there with the Browns. I personally, I'm not going to own Hooper anywhere, but what are your thoughts on this guy? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm seeing him go off the board sometimes. It's like tight end six through eight range. And oh. like I was saying before, I mean, I Chelsea, Kittle, Andrews, Ertz, Ingram, if I don't get one of those guys, I'm just going to let people overspend on tight ends for the next few rounds before I need to because – I mean, why should we expect Hooper, who is by all accounts easily going to be a number three pass game, this pass game option, this offense? You know, why should he be that much far ahead of Jasicki or Hawkinson or Johnny mm. Smith or Herndon or Jarwin or Ian Thomas, like Jay Sturmberger? There's just so there's 20 plus draftable tight ends this year. It's uh, it's good, but remember, there's only one. You know, most leagues you have one tight end on your team, like. It's okay. You don't need to gamble on Hooper and hope he provides this like low end tight end one value. Unless Baker is going to just come back with a vengeance and throw mm. for you know forty five hundred yards and forty touchdowns, Hooper is going to need to get there with like scoring efficiency on a low number of targets. Because again, it's not like he was this all world receiving tight end that just dominated target share because he was that good. I mean, go Pro Football Reference. Pull up his splits and look at how much of it comes when they're in the game versus when they're trailing by multiple scores. It's bad. And it's nothing against Hooper. You know, he's he can't control when the ball gets thrown to him, but he's just a much better real-life tight end than he is fantasy. 
Really interesting stats there. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. There's just no reason to jump on him. I'm intrigued because you keep listing Evan Ingram with that group of six tight ends, and I, I'm with you. I think he's one of the most athletic freaks. I just wish we could get a fully healthy season. But one thing I love, I don't have him on the list as talking points, but I, I wrote about this the other day. Jared, Jason Garrett uh, with Jason Witten, not nearly the athlete that Evan Ingram is, Saw 141, 121, 124, 128, 117, and 147 targets through his six seasons with Jason Garrett. I mean, that is some serious volume. That's when Garrett was calling the plays, and obviously they've transitioned to other guys between that. But from 07 to 2012, I mean, he was averaging right around 130 targets at the tight end position. So if Ingram stays healthy, I love that you keep him with those other names because I think a lot of people are starting to view him more in that Hooper range. And I'm with you. Like, he's definitely a step above the those guys. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you keep shouting him out. One other pass core, there's, there's two others that are going to have new kind of looks here. One of them, and you've been writing about this guy on Twitter a bit, and we talked about him last week. That's the Bengals with Joe Burrow and the upside he can now bring to this. You have AJ Green back. You have T. Higgins now added. And you, you have Tyler Boyd, who's been balling out these last couple of years, plus Auden Tate, who really lit it up last year. So yeah. how does this all shake out? And which, if any of these guys, are you targeting? It's so crowded, man. Someone even corrected me and was like, oh, we got Alex Erickson still there, too. So it's. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Not, yeah, obviously, Mixon and Geo are, you know, good enough receivers. They're going to get theirs as well. It's tough, but hey, this is kind of like the Edelman thing. I mean, you know, would I want to draft AJ Green as the wide receiver one that we know he can be? No. But when the guy's being priced as like a mid tier wide receiver three, okay, then I'm down to gamble yeah. on this because. You know, more and more of Burrow, it's like the the, the, the the things we have against him are that he transferred from Ohio State once upon a time, and it's like, okay, well, he just went on to, at, you know, a tougher schedule at LSU, just shatter every record that Haskins was already setting. So whatever. And he's older, which like, okay, if he was a raw Josh Allen-type prospect, maybe we were a little more concerned about the age. But when the guy was just passes right. – you know, pro-style offense with the most flying colors maybe we've ever seen in a single season, I think we can say that, okay, this offense could be pretty good sooner rather than later. So, yeah, man, it's it's a kind of a mess. But, again, there's just upside everywhere, and none of these guys are exactly costing all that much right now. I mean, look, they apparently want T. Higgins to be in three wide receiver sets right away. I mean, a John Ross trade has been floated out there. Higgins feasibly, if he, you know, forms connections early – it wouldn't be shocking to me if he flirts with triple-digit targets. I think Tyler Boyd's the one guy that I just never quite gotten behind. He's, yeah. I think he's the clear wide receiver, too, when Green's healthy, and they're priced really close together. Even if Green is somehow out again, which I don't think we need to expect, I could see Higgins and you know maybe even Boyd. Uh, not Higgins or Ross or maybe even Tate yeah. uh, fighting with Boyd for that role. So I think Green's spot in the offense is much more secure than Boyd's, what I'm trying to say. Really interesting there too, yeah. And I, I think I, I, you might have even been the one that tweeted it the other day. That was like the Bengals could become you know legit good sooner rather than later. And it might have been Thorman. The uh, offense. Thorman. The offense. What's that? Sorry. I was saying the offense. Oh the yes, offense of course. Trash. Which I don't. Who cares about defense? I'm, I'm not worried yeah, about defense <laughs> at all. Uh, but Pat Thorman brought up a good point about how their pace of play under Taylor, when they had you know just Andy Dalton at QB and no AJ Green, was still ninth in the league, and that they did have some really encouraging offensive developments that I think a lot of people are overlooking because the, the to- point total wasn't great, but we saw some intriguing play calling trends. So if this Taylor offense, if 
for those that don't know, hailing from that McVay offense that used to light it up. They've got the weaponry. They hopefully have that QB to engineer it all. So I could see them taking a really big leap as a unit. Um, and A.J. Green could, as you said, price as a wide receiver three. We've seen this guy top five for so many years. Wouldn't shock me at all to see that happen either. The last uh, core I want to describe uh, or look at with you is the Chargers here with Tyrod Taylor and maybe Justin Hebert taking over at some point too. Keaton Allen was the wide receiver six last year and is now going in round four and and sometimes even falling out of there, which blows my mind. But is Tyrod that much of a downgrade or or how do you see this offense kind of shaking out with him? I don't think Tyrod's a downgrade. It's just a situation where I don't, are we positive? And some people will say, yes, we are positive about this, but I'm not positive that Keenan is like just locked in as the Chargers number one pass game option i mean mike williams if he leads the league and if he leads the team in targets i wouldn't be shocked hunter henry is amazing eckler is obviously awesome so right it is a significant downgrade we've seen what he can do with rivers keenan's good enough to overcome that but again it's keenan doesn't have that same edelman aj green downgrade even the stefan diggs value like Keenan, even if he maybe in some drafts he is falling late again. If the guy slides, then okay by all means. But when he's still being priced in that wide receiver ten to twenty range, I'm just a little hesitant in pulling the trigger. There's a lot of questions again. When, when it's fifty-fifty with these earlier wide receivers, give me the running back. I know I know this could get the touches because I think I think the Tyrod hate is a little much. I mean, the guy was fine in Buffalo, and he, even though he didn't have any super high-end wide receivers emerge. I mean, you know, Sammy Walker and Robert Woods, those guys did do some good things for stretches. So, Keenan's the man. I'm concerned about it. I don't think his ADP has dropped enough for me to go in on that yet. And so, yeah, just give me Mike Williams 20 uh, wide receiver spots later. Again, overall strategy that you keep highlighting is buying the guy at the price where there's actual upside baked into it, whereas you're you're right. Keenan doesn't have this huge ceiling anymore. Um, with Tyrod, who's never cleared over 3,100 passing yards. He's never had more than 20 TDs. So he's a good quarterback. He's solid, but you're right. Like, And they might... There's a lot of this talk about them becoming more pistol based and, and just you know featuring two running backs at the same time and I could see them getting really creative and, and great o- overall on offense with that but we saw Lamar Jackson leading the league in in terms of the overall offensive output but still there was not a, a clear cut dependable fantasy wide receiver there at all maybe it becomes a situation like that so yeah I'm with you it, it's not a guy I'm definitely going not you know I'm not going on my way to avoid but certainly not going out of my way to to get on my t- team either is there anybody we missed i mean that's all i have written down for talking points i know we hit a ton of guys here is there any other guys that you think uh are worth shouting out here at the pass catcher positions uh the only other one i'd add is that i mean the disparity between juju smith schuster and deontay Mm. johnson right now is wild i would say deontay is one of my favorite uh later round guys right now and i mean he's not even late late rounds but you know he's going like as a wide receiver 40 almost and don't forget in 2018 not only Big Ben cleared 5K yards, Juju and AB were number three and number four in targets. Wow. So, I mean, the number two wide receiver in Pittsburgh we've seen can be a number one fantasy wide receiver. So, you know, just as, you know, we're expecting Ridley and Julio to both, you know, flirt with that wide receiver one borderline, sneakily, I think Juju and Deontay could do that same thing. Does this Claypool, you know, worry you at all for Deontay's volume or what, what do you think of no, him? I, I think I, I like Claypool. I think he's just there for James Washington's job. Gotcha. Awesome. Well, Ian, thanks so much for joining us. Why don't you remind our uh, listeners where they can find you and connect? 
Yes, sir. Find me on Twitter at iHeart. It's I-H-A-R-T-I-T-Z. I try to have an article up a day, and then I'm on a Tuesday edition of the Rotor World Football Podcast. Thanks again for having me on, man. This was fun. Always a blast talking ball with you. And then the series you're doing right now is awesome. You're doing like the questions the, around each team. So if, if any of our listeners have not checked out his work on Roto World, it is fantastic. Thanks so much again, Ian. We're going to be back with Backfields early next week. So thanks so much for tuning in. And Wolfpack, we are out. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd And take our final bow Oh, it's our time to go But at least we stole the show 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 Old-fashioned football right there, folks.